uh, I know she really appreciates the prayers. Some of her members of her family are actually here uh, with us right now uh, at church. Uh, when you're hurting, when things are going great, you want to be around people that you care about and love. And when things are tough, you want to be around people you care about and love. So uh, thank you for, uh, for being here. <clears throat> Uh, we are going to conclude our seven series. Now, if you're wondering what is seven about, maybe you're here for the first time, you're like, what is seven? Seven is actually the seven deadly sins. We're talking about the seven deadly sins. And we are going to conclude this series uh, with gluttony. Now, does anybody know what gluttony is? So I thought I, I thought I had an idea of gluttony. I thought gluttony was basically eating until you couldn't eat anymore. It's just like gorging yourself until you possibly couldn't eat anymore. That's really what I thought gluttony was. I, I thought, well, that's, that's really, it's, it's not even, food's not even enjoyable anymore. It gets to the point where it passes enjoyment and it's just, you're just feeding your face. I sort of thought of gluttony a little bit like this. Check it out. Okay. Miss, uh, what's the old 96er? Oh, that's our world famous Paul Bunyan's Blue Ox Steak. It is a 96-ounce prime-aged beef steak. And if you or any member of your party orders the old 96er and finishes, everybody eats for free. Ah. <laughs> Want to go for it, girls? <laughs> How about you, Chet? People seem to like that. Yeah. I'll try it. Okay, uh, seriously, though, has anybody ever eaten one? Oh, oh, no. No, not in my lifetime, no. Processing nice. Huh? Processing very, very huh? nice. All right, continue. just about does it. He's not done yet. Well, he may take a little while with that last bite, but it'll go down. That ain't the last bite. Well, sure it is. There's nothing on that plate but gristle and fat. Double the bet. Double the bet. Oh, God, no. No problem. Listen, I can get a dessert down him. Think he could throw in a couple of Paul Bunyan hats for the kids? You know, yeah. <clears throat> That's kind of what I thought of gluttony, is just eating and eating and eating, and it's not even fun anymore. It's not even pleasurable anymore. Why do we do that? Why do we continue to just stuff our faces when there's no pleasure. And then I thought, why is that one of the seven deadly sins? 
just overeating? Is being overweight a sin? Is, is, is that a sin in itself? No, actually it isn't. It's not. Now, our, our society and our culture might make you feel like it's a sin, but it actually isn't. So then, well, what is gluttony? Gluttony, what is it? It's an over-reliance on food to fix or fulfill you. It places food at the center of your existence, exaggerating its importance. So in short, gluttony acts as if eating the right amount of the right things at the right time will make everything all right. It's an attempt to regulate your emotions solely with what you put in your mouth. In other words, it's less about what you eat and more about why you're eating. It's not about how much you weigh, but the weight you give to food. Gluttony sees food as the ultimate authority. It has the power to make or break me. Now, now when you start to think of gluttony in those terms, in the terms of, of, well, wait a minute, it's not just overeating, it's actually allowing food to control my life. That's where it becomes dangerous. Now, you could say, well, I've never let that happen, really. Really, okay. How many things have you missed out on in your life because you didn't like the menu? Somebody got married. It could have been in a great, enjoyable, wonderful experience, but I'd missed out on it because I didn't like the food. It bothered me. Or a graduation, or a bridal shower, or a birthday party, or winning the soccer tournament, or whatever it is, you missed out on some really cool moments because you didn't like the food. Maybe you missed out on some really important relationships because you didn't like the way they cooked. And then maybe they didn't cook that meal as good as you, or you didn't like the way it tasted, so you missed out on those relationships. That's where it gets dangerous. You're missing out on interpersonal relationships because you didn't like the menu. You're putting way too much emphasis on that. And you're robbing yourself of what God has for you. You get to the point where it's in control of me, and I'm not in control of it. The glutton has an inability to implement healthy boundaries on their appetite, finding themselves stuck in a cycle of overeating, undereating, or obsessively eating. Gluttony could look like having no plan for what you're going to eat or obsessively over-planning everything you eat, like having no limits or increased unreasonably rigid limits. Either way, it prioritizes food preferences over healthy interpersonal relationships. Gluttony is emotional escapism. You're eating to avoid what's eating away at you. Like all of the other sins, you're escaping. It's, it's, it's I want a fantasy world. I want to get out of my reality. I'm just going to eat and get out of this. Because it's such a broad topic, gluttony does play in different directions. Now, when I go over these symptoms, I don't want you to nudge the person next to you. I don't want you to immediately think what the else needs this message other than you. This is simply a way to show yourself what the, it's like a gauge on a car. I usually say this. It's like my oil light's on, I've got to pay attention to this. My gas light's on, I've got to pay attention. Tire pressure's low, I've got to pay attention. This is just something to pay attention to. So don't beat yourself up. Don't, you know, don't think, oh, I'm so terrible, I'm, I'm awful. Just, this is just something to be aware of. So here are some symptoms of gluttony. Believing your worth is rooted in what you weigh and how you look. Choosing meals based on what you want to eat over who you want to eat with. Hating your body or being overly proud of it. Assuming obese people are probably failures in life. Believing your life would be so much better if you could just lose 10 pounds. Then I'd be perfect. Scheduling your entire day around food. 
being unable to get, being able to enjoy a get-together because the food wasn't really what you wanted. Hiding or hoarding certain foods to enjoy later in secret. Eating primarily because you're sad, bored, angry, or lonely. And then feeling the need to reward yourself after a difficult day with an edible treat, but having no limits on it. So if you identified with any of those things, you may want to pay attention to this. Because food ultimately can have control over you. And we don't want anything to have control over you other than God. Now, the early church fathers divided gluttony up in a few categories. Now, you're not going to have time to write it all down. So I'd encourage you to take your phones out and take pictures of these slides. Uh, and uh, see, this is a church that encourages you to bring your phone and take pictures. Um, okay, so they broke it up in a few different categories. The excessive glutton. I just can't get enough. I just can't get enough. Any Depeche Mode fans? Okay. This is the category people typically think of. It's overeating, pushing past the point of fullness, never wanting the enjoyment to end. Those in this category ignore any consequences to their health. Bloating, sickness, sleeplessness, soreness, lethargy, heartburn, inflammation. Yes, I'm full. And yes, I'm going back to the buffet. The next one is the sumptuous glutton. I only want the most delicious things. This category concerns itself more with quality than quantity. It wants to maximize its taste buds at every meal. These people want everything they put in their mouths to be rich and filling, an over-explosion of flavor, something to savor. Food has no utility. It's all about enjoyment. The fastidious glutton. I need to be the way I want it. I need it to be the way I want it. This is all about control. It's about getting things just so, the perfect pairings, perfect nutrients, perfect number of calories. These people need to alter every order to make it special the way they want it, regardless of how inconvenient or insensitive the request is. Excusing themselves, saying, I'm not wrong for me. Is it wrong for me uh, to be demanding or dissatisfied because I'm just being healthy? It's not wrong for me to do that. Naturally, I can make no exceptions. The root of this often either insecurity related to body or image, body image or a sense of superiority related to their specialized knowledge of nutrition or both. So we have anybody fitting in these categories? You don't have to raise your hands, okay. Or the joyless glutton. I don't think food ought to be enjoyed, it's just fuel. If that is you, I feel so sorry for you. This category demonizes only any excitement over tasting or experiencing food. These people see deriving any pleasure from food or drink as being wrong. Feeling any other way about food is a guilty pleasure and you ought to feel guilty about it. So sum it up. Food will fix, me, food will fix or fulfill me if I just get enough of it or just eat the most delicious of it or if I can completely control it or if I could reduce it to something entirely functional. Gluttony is a complete disconnection from moderation in some direction. Now, does it affect our lives? Yes. Look, like we've been talking about pride, we've been talking about wrath and lust and, and sloth and everything else, but you wanna know a little secret? The most, that by far, percentage points, that Melanie and I have our disagreements, it's about food, by far. There's like, like something else, whatever's in the second place, I don't know what it is. But food is the most thing that we fight or argue or disagree about. You know what I mean? Because our versions of what we like are different. You know, like Melanie, if she goes, in, if, if, I, if I take her to like Carl's Jr., she'll go into like a, a panic. Like, I don't know what to do here. 
But then she takes me to like Sprouts and I get itchy and I'm uncomfortable and I'm just like, I don't belong here. These people are judging me when they're asking me if I just want a free sample. I'm like, no, you're judging me. Leave me alone. And so we are very different ideas of food. And so we both have a Rolodex of what we can offer the other person. And I have a feeling we're not the only ones in this category. I have a feeling that a lot of you probably have the same thing that we have. And it's just, it's one of those things that we keep talking about food. We let it control us a lot of times. Of the four categories that I mentioned of gluttony, two are disconnected from the body, and the other two obsess only over the body, but all ignore an ingredient in the integration of body and spirit. Now, this is affecting our culture, and it's not helping. Because we know lots of religious people who ignore their bodies and a lot of people that are obsessed with how they look but who are completely disconnected emotionally and spiritually. You can't be a whole person and ignore either. You have to be whole spiritually, but you also have to be whole with your physical body as well. But we don't get that in church very often, do we, guys? No, no, we don't. What we do is we have you telling you, here's five ways for a healthy marriage. Here's five ways to get your uh, finances in order. Here are the three best ways to serve the church. Here is what the, the, the best way to have a Bible study. And we have all these things to make you men cotton candy. And then when we say amen, we say, now let's all go outside for pizza and ice cream and cotton candy. So we're telling you two different messages. We want you to be healthy with finances and relationships and all these other things. But we never talk about physical health, really. We, we rarely do. And it's something that, that we all have to be paying attention to. Now, what does the Bible say about this? It actually talks a lot about it. In fact, the Bible is actually bookended with, with feasts. But, but it talks a lot about this. And it talks about when Jesus is, 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 he talks a lot about Jesus having meals with people. And he never questions what's there. He eats what's in front of him. You know, it's not like Jesus goes to meet with somebody. And then they offer him food. And he's like, I don't really do onions, so if you have anything else, that'd be great. I, you know, I'm not really into, uh, any, you know, uh, I don't really like these peppers you have on my plate. I mean, he just ate what was in front of him. And then, and then Paul takes that, and he also takes that from Jesus, and he does the same. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, I have the right to do, and this is Paul says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And there's a line here. Paul is saying putting certain things in your body isn't inherently wrong. What we've got to look out for is becoming enslaved to food, addicted to food, allowing our lives to revolve around food, viewing food in some ways as God. Goes on, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a, at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, meaning your body and spirit are fused together, each affecting the other. Okay, well, then how do we, how do we handle this vice? What do we do about it? What does the Bible say? How do, we, how do we get better here? Matthew 5, 10 through 11 says this. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, you may be thinking, what does persecution have to do with food and gluttony? I don't get it. Gluttony is ultimately about pain avoidance. It's ultimately about pain avoidance. 
Being persecuted is having pain inflicted on you. We don't have an understanding of who we're made by God to be. We rely on the acceptance or approval of others to give us a sense of worth, and we can't stomach the pain of persecution. So we turn to gluttony, eating to make ourselves feel better, or controlling our food to joyless extremes in order to morph our body into something more socially acceptable. And Jesus is telling us that in order to experience true fulfillment, we have to have a sense of who we are and learn to stomach the pain of not always fitting in. In other words, our deepest longings and hungers can only truly be satisfied with the right relationship with God. Now, St. Augustine actually has something to say about this, and he breaks it up in a few different ways to, to, to help you understand this a little bit better. And again, you may want to take pictures of this, but I thought this was very beneficial when talking about this. St. Augustine says this, physically healthy. He wants you to have to be physically healthy. You don't need the perfect picture of health, but you do need to eat well enough for your body to function well. If what you're putting in your body is constantly making you sick, you need to make some adjustments. Socially conscious. We need to be considerate of the people around us. This includes being mindful of the people you're with, their feelings, their needs, their weaknesses, etc. If what how, what, how much, or the way in which you're eating is harmful to those around you, that's gluttony. Personal food preferences should not become priority over interpersonal relationships. You should be able to enjoy your friends and family and not worry so much about what's on the menu. And then vocationally empowering. We're all made for a purpose. We have gifts to give and role to play in the world. We're not all made the same and we're not all called to do the same things. Are you eating intentionally to enable you to do what you've been called to do? Is what or how much you're eating helping or hindering your ability to be effective in your job, your core responsibilities, your volunteer roles, etc.? If what you're eating is robbing you of energy that you're meant to have uh, to do other things that you were called to do, that's a problem. Now, gluttony, like all the other seven sins, separates us from the life that God has for us. Guys, that's basically what we're talking about over the past, why would we spend two months talking about all of these different sins? Why would we do that? We're spending an awful lot of time talking about this, why? Because we all struggle with this, all of us do. And we're all exhausted because we're all walking around trying to make everybody think that we don't, trying to pretend that we don't. Trying to, trying to portray something that really isn't us because we want the perception of think that we've got it taken care of, that we've got it covered, and we actually don't. One of the things that, that I've been learning about myself is I struggle with this stuff too. I got this stuff too. Pride, envy, wrath, sloth, greed, lust, gluttony. I'm in it right there with you. You know, and I, and, and I want to us to be a church that we could be honest with each other about this. And don't look at me like I have some sort of a special connection to God that you can't have. My job is to serve you. My job is to shepherd you. My job is to love you. What does that mean? That means after my family, you take priority of my schedule. I'm here for you. But it doesn't mean that I'm better than you. You want an example? I'll give you one. This past week, the girls loved school. They love school. They started a new school and they love it. And I, could, I was so excited. I get to walk into school now for the first time. It's really, really cool. And so when I picked up Piper, she had her head down and I said, what's the matter? And she said, uh, you know, somebody picked on me. And I said, do you want to tell me what happened? 
And she said, well, Piper's got a big thing about justice, okay? And so she made a little friend, his little boy, and, um, and so they were waiting to get on the monkey bars. And another kid got right in front of him and kind of pushed him out of the way and then got on the monkey bars. And it was her little friend's turn. And so he was about to go on it again, and he ran around, and he, and he got right in front of him again. So Piper said, hey, this wasn't your turn. It was my friend's turn. Can you wait so then he can go? And then he immediately looked at her and said, you don't know my family. She's like, you're right, I don't, but it's, you know, it's his turn. So she, he looked at her, she said, he stared at me, and then he pushed me really hard against the bars. And I, didn't, I, was, I, I got surprised. And I looked at him, and, my, and I said, what happened? She goes, I started to cry. I go, what did he do? She goes, he pushed me again against the bars, and it hurt me. And then I just started to cry, and I ran away, and I ran underneath the, the, uh, the playground area, and I sat there, and I cried for a while. So I said, what did you do? She said, I told a supervisor. And I go, what did they do? She said, they gave him a warning. But what if he pushes me again? And I said, Piper, honey, you just go up to him calmly, just calmly. And then, boom, kick him right in the... (laughs) Right there. He won't do it again. I promise you. Right there. He won't do it again. She says, well, I don't know if mom, you would like that. I'm like, I'll talk to mom. Don't worry. <laughs> and she says, you know, dad, that would just want, make him want to fight me. I think I can help him. That's a seven-year-old telling your pastor, that's not what God says to do. But in that moment, I'm like, that kid should have more pain inflicted on for what he did to you. I was very frustrated and very angry. And now look, none of us are perfect. And I really want to, honestly, guys, I wanted this church to be an authentic place for all of us, a place where you can come to me and I can come to you, and we're real people. We're not trying to pretend we're something we're not. One of my goals is to take down the curtain of Oz and show you that we're just regular people too. All across the world right now, pastors are up front and people are thinking, wow, that guy or that girl's got it figured out and we don't. How do I know that? Pastors that were surveyed. Pastors that were surveyed. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Many pastors' children now attend church now because of what the church has done for their parents. That's 80% said this is negatively affecting my family. 65% of pastors surveyed feel that their family lives in a glass house and fear they are not good enough to meet expectations. That's over half. Over half again, 53% of pastors report that the seminary did not prepare them for the ministry. You could add me to that list. I learned a lot in seminary, but it's a whole different ballgame when you're up doing it. 90% of pastors 90% of pastors report the ministry was completely different than what they thought it would be before they entered the ministry. 80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses have felt unqualified and discouraged as role of pastors at least once or more times in their ministry. 54% of pastors find the role of pastor overwhelming, over half, friends. 
70% of pastors report they have a lower self-image now than when they first started, and 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider to be a close friend. Over 50% of pastors are unhealthy, overweight, and do not exercise. Pastors will actually retire as a pastor, and every Sunday, 200 churches close their doors. Every Sunday, 200 churches close their doors. Friends, if you're looking for a pastor to have all the answers, you are mistaken. We do not. And I have a little secret for you. Neither do the guy up the street or the guy over here or over there or up there. They may want sometimes want you to think they do because sometimes, like anybody else, they can be filled with pride too. And they want to be the one-stop shop because more people will go to their church if they think that they have all the answers. But none of us do. All these sins that we're talking about, we all struggle with them. Let's stop pretending we don't. Let's just be real and honest and not judge each other, but encourage and lift each other up. Let's be authentic. As I said, I'm committing to do whatever it takes to serve you as your pastor and to love you to shepherd you, to give you priority of my schedule when you need me. If it doesn't interfere with my family time, you got it. But that's what we're going to do in this community. And we're not going to pretend that we've got it all figured out. And I'm not going to pretend that I've got it all figured out. We are going to be real with each other. Because I need you like you need me. We need each other. Now, a lot of times, if you're like me, the enemy is going to tell you, you're never going to get past this sin or this vice, or this struggle, and you're bad at that. That's just how God wired you. That's not true. Because we were bought at a price, all of us were. And when you feel discouraged and let down in times where you feel like you're just, you can't, you don't have any more energy, you are so sick and tired of being sick and tired, you are so done with this whole thing, you are so done of asking God to forgive you for the eight billionth time about that thing you're struggling with. You're so tired of being phony around all the people trying to make it seem like you've got the perfect family or you've got the perfect life or being single doesn't bother you or that job doesn't really bother you or the issues with your kids don't really bother you. Everything's okay because God take care of everything. Do you believe that? Because honestly, all the time, I don't. I slip up too. I don't always believe it. And I get on my knees and I say, I need you right now. I don't. I do. We're going to sing a song when we close. And I'm going to encourage you to sing this song like you've never sang this song before because it's a promise. When you feel discouraged, when you feel let down, when you feel that you uh, are not good enough or you're struggling with these things and you just can't get out of it and you're in a cycle that you can't get out of, I want you to remember these words. Who the sun sets free, who is free indeed. I am a child of God, yes I am. When they say you're never going to get married, you're never going to have kids, your kids are never going to be good, you're never going to get the job you want, you're never going to get this, that, the other, you say this, in my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 
That's not a pastor telling you. That's not somebody on TV telling you. That's not somebody famous telling you. That is God telling you, in, in my father's house is a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. What does God really think of you? I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say that I am. Again, not against me. I am saying, I am who you say that I am, God. You are for me. You're not against me. I am who you say that I am. When you sing that song, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, then that song has to mean something to you or you're just not alive. I am a child of God. When the enemy tells me you shouldn't be pastoring, well, the, the church is, 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 is never going to grow to where you think it's going to grow and, and the, the people aren't going to serve and this, that, and the other. Go, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You have no authority here. You're a meaningless wimp who knows how the story ends, and so do I. You lose. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. But what about that stuff? You got nothing on me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. But that struggle, got nothing on me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You can just take off, you putrid wimp. My dad's God. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. When you sing that song today, friends, understand that that same God that I'm talking to about is present with us right here. And he knows what you're going through. And he knows they all have the lies the enemy's going to tell you. And you stand firmly and boldly. And you tell him you got no authority here because God's here. And you're scared. And you're a wimp. And you're a liar. And I don't buy all your garbage anymore. I'm not going to believe it. But I'm going to trust God. And I am who you say I am, God. Remember that as we close out today with that song. Let's pray. Father. If there's somebody that does not know you right now, I pray that they could follow along with this prayer so that when we sing this song, that they'll know that that means something different than when they first walked in. And that is this prayer right now. Jesus, I am asking you the best way I know how to be real in my life. I accept you as my savior. I want to know you forever, and I want you to take complete control of my life. I want a, a purpose right now that I can live here now. I want an eternal home in, in heaven to be with you forever, and I, and I thank you for forgiving me for all the sins that I'm going to do, I do, and, I'm gonna, and I've done in the past. But I accept your free gift right now, God. And I am so excited to say that I am a child of God. Father, if there's anybody that prayed that prayer right now, we know that that song is going to mean something different. We thank you for all that you give us, God. Help us to be a real church, an authentic church, Father. As the pastor of this church, Father, I ask you humbly that I may never be one of these statistics that I just read. This is your church, and we are here for you. It's about you, and we love you. Amen.